How about we'll start off with uh, just a couple of quick FYIs. I think Ron has some FYIs for us before we get into some questions that you guys had for us. Yeah, to start with, uh, our longtime facilities supervisor, John Ritter, is going to retire in, well, shortly after the holiday season, so January, February, sometime around there. Um, he's fine health-wise. It's just wanting in his 60s now to be with his wife more and his kids and grandkids more. And in my early 50s, I'm beginning to get that already. So you guys should be ready for me to do the same thing in about 10 years. Um, John is here somewhere tonight. So this won't be the last time we'll honor him. But can we just put our hands together and tell him thanks? I'll say something quick about John. One of the many things I deeply appreciate about his ministry is that actually several times a year, he'll go the second mile voluntarily for ministries and people outside of our church. Um, I've seen stuff he's literally built with his hands and sometimes pictures of things in places I haven't been in Guatemala, Mexico, Navajo reservations, uh, even a little ministry retreat center called the Rekindling in the Manzanos, uh, not too far out of the city. So he'll volunteer his time I don't know, dozens of times over the past 10 or 20 years to do that kind of stuff. And when he, when he builds things or protects um, homes and, and structures, it's not just a physical thing that he does. It's a real encouragement emotionally and spiritually to the people that minister there, uh, often in parts of the world that, that experience extreme poverty. So um, we don't have to clap again, but come up sometime this fall and the spring. It's not like he'll leave the church and let him know how much you appreciate his ministry to us, and uh, really in missions without being a formal part of missions to many other parts of the world. A second FYI is that, and I think a lot of you know this already, uh, Greg Schneeberger is now over the well, our young adult ministry, as well as what he has done for years and years, the youth ministry. So the well also switched at end of August from Tuesday night to Thursday night at 7.30. So if you didn't know that, um, recommend that people in their 20s you know head out here Thursdays at 7.30. So Greg could probably use some encouragement too since he's had this addition to his um, job, but he's thriving in that. We've tried to come alongside of him and offer suggestions. We, we tell him, hey, when you preach on t- something, take that same text and do both. Don't try to do a preparation for youth and then a completely separate preparation for the young adults. If you're doing Romans chapter 2, 10 verses, do it both at that same same passage. And what is the well? The well? Yeah. I'm not sure where the term came from. I'll pretend like I'm a newcomer the whole time. Um, What's where did the well start from? The name. The name? Yeah. I have no idea. I have to ask Matt King that one or (laughs) Carolyn Rush might know. Um, What age group? College age and young adults. Yeah. Right? Young adults that are out of college. Yeah. 18 to 30 usually. Yeah. Okay. What you'll see up on the screens is some categories. We have uh, 12 more categories of kinds of questions that you've asked us. And um, so you'll see that up on the screen as we're asking some individual questions in each of those categories. So why don't we start in the category of uh, church planting, and we'll go to Los down there. Um, Los, give us an update on how plans for Redemption Rio Rancho are coming. Um, any recent developments, and also tell us what's ahead. Um, I got notes, so I'm not like checking Twitter, just so you know. Um, we, uh, 
I think I, I wrote this to our core group to, today. Um, I've never been so excited to be part of what God's doing at Red, with Redemption Church as I have been this week. Um, the, peop, the group of people that Jesus has brought together to help plant this church uh, is better than I think I could have possibly imagined. Um, we've got solid leaders. Um, we have around, I think we're at 42 adults. Um, so we hit that 40 marker. So we're an official Acts 29 church. Uh, as far as as a church planning network that we're affiliated with, uh, partner with. Um, One of the first questions I always get about Redemption Church is, do you have a building? Are you building a building? Um, And so uh, while the church is a gathering of people, it's a body, it's not a place, uh, it's important to have a place where people can gather. Uh, I can uh, report that we are a couple days away, Lord willing, from signing a lease. So we will have, we do have a location. Um, We've been blessed with a great location. It's actually on the corner of 528 and Southern Boulevard. It's the busiest intersection in Rio Rancho um, with a storefront. We're a couple spaces down from a popular restaurant, local restaurant, pub there in Rio Rancho. So I'm really excited to be on mission and be able to have neighbors that we can um, love on and encourage and hopefully they meet Jesus if they haven't already, um, be transformed. Um, we are blessed by, by God. Just uh, We got a great deal on the location um, and we are really excited to get in there. We'll be in there uh, mid-November because we'll have a lot to do um, as we ramp up to our first Sunday morning service, which will be in Jan- on January 22nd. Uh, our group is really diverse. Um, it's a great, really diverse group of people, a lot of per- different personalities, but what's amazing is that everyone is using the gifts that God's given them for the um, building of the mission for Redemption Church. Uh, one thing I told our group this past Sunday night, we meet every Sunday night just to talk about where we're going, who, what we're going to be about. One of the things I told our core group this Sunday is I'm not um, the church planter. We are all church planters in this core group. And I think one thing that's really cool is our group has just taken that to heart. They are um, going full bore. They are helping me think through what kind of church do we build on with our mission being make disciples, plant churches. That's what we're going to be about. That's what we're going to exist for. And um, our core values and our first core value being Jesus, with those in place, what kind of church do we want to have that you are excited to bring your friends to, that, you're, that will help the city of Rio Rancho on the west side, uh, that will make disciples? And so what's cool is they are all in. They are just they're giving ideas. They're saying, this is important. This is crucial. Um, so it's, it's a blessing to have this group here. We have lots of kids um, we probably by January will have 30 kids 10 and under. Um, it's Desert Springs, that shouldn't be surprising. Um, but uh, so it's a, it's a blessing to have that many children. It just means we're going to be working on children's ministry right away. Um, we, have an, we have a group that's just got a vision for adoption. We already got three couples that are, are in the process of adopting, have adopted, or in the process of adopting again. Um, so we've got people that are passionate about seeing. Um, the ministry that I think God's grown up that I know it's going to be talked about later, this ministry of adoption, um, carry over to redemption. And uh, we feel like that's a huge part of being on mission in New Mexico is we're in a state that is just prone to fatherlessness, to, um, or, to just having orphans. Um, and um, we're excited that we got people that are excited to be on mission to um, equip other churches and to encourage others to adopt. So um, I'm really excited about that. Um, we, uh, way you can pray for us is we're just amping up. It feels like this thing is getting quicker and quicker. It's coming faster and faster. 
Um, one of our big things is we keep saying four baptisms. We want to have baptisms that first Sunday. That January 22nd, the minute we went to our sins, our mission is to make disciples. We want to kind of live that out by baptizing people. And um, we, we're praying that those four people are out there. And if they don't know Jesus yet, that by God's grace, through our people at Redemption that are going, um, they, God transforms them, saves them, and that we get to baptize them on that first Sunday to, just as a celebration, as a big party. Um, and this is who we are. So be praying for us there. Um, we will have a pre- another, we have preview services, so we'll have another preview service a week from this Sunday night here at Desert Springs, and uh, that's just a good way to, if you know anyone up on the west side or in Rio Rancho, you can invite them to um, participate and just see what it will be like, what it will feel like, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really exciting time. I, like I said, I am really overwhelmed. Um, being in Acts 29, I get to talk to other church planters, and I feel extremely, extremely um, spoiled with the, mo- the uh, momentum we have, with the people that are, that are in the group, um, with just the diversity God's given us, and that the, it just feels like Jesus is just, um, sometimes you say, you know, want Jesus to open doors or close doors. It feels like he's opening doors and like pushing us all right through it, and it's just awesome. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the update. So preview service is uh, Sunday what time and where? 6, 6 p.m. here at Desert Springs. It'll be in the youth room because uh, that's about the size of our place. We'll um, be a little more intimate. And uh, it's a week from this Sunday, so November 6th. Okay. And did you say first Sunday? What, what the first, first Sunday will be uh, 10, uh, our service, um, 10 until 10 a.m., will be on January 22nd. So you guys are all invited out there. We'll squeeze in. We'll have a big old party. We'll celebrate what Jesus is doing. Good. All right. Well, I'm going to turn to Ron and ask him uh, a church planning question. It'd be sort of awkward for Los to answer these. So, Los, uh, I'm sorry, Ron. Um, how do these church uh, church planting plans come together for us? Where did that come about? Well, I jotted on a couple notes this afternoon on kind of the history of this, and I won't hit everything. So Los can feel totally free to pitch in, sure. and I'm done. Uh, Part of this started in fall of 2006, spring 2007, when about 20 to 30 of you all that had a real passion for global missions got together. In fact, I remember meeting at your house that spring of 2007 to pray about where the Lord would lead us in terms of a second unreached people group in the world, the Mayanichi being the first. And that grew after we decided on a people group in North Africa into an interest in church planting globally. So not just sending missionaries, not just sending a team of missionaries to set up some kind of business and try to evangelize, uh, but what grew was this thought that, wow, evangelism, discipleship, worship, it's all really captured in planting a church. Um, And that's what it's really about. And that's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what we see in the book of Acts. So maybe fast forward a little bit to the winter season, end of 2007, beginning 2008, as elders, we were contemplating building onto the dirt lot, I guess it's that direction. Uh, And what we did was we hit a stage where we said, we've got to make this beyond just an elder board meeting. So we gathered in the Paradox Room with as many leaders as we could gather together, former elders, deacons, what were then called home group leaders, just a bunch of people. And um, in fact, I often cite that story whenever I teach Casey Casey, I think it's a great example of how 
with big decisions, we don't want to be an island unto ourselves. We don't want to just gather, say, this is what we're going to do, and then just announce it to you all and say, okay, follow us, fall in line. You didn't have any idea this was going on, but just obey. And these leaders here at Desert Springs said, let's slow things down. Let's be much more cautious about this. This was before the recession hit in 2008. Um, We didn't even know that was coming. One of the reasons cited was, should we think about church planting locally? Um, So we kind of put that on hold for about a year, although globally people were thinking along those lines. And a lot of things were happening in 2008, 2009. Uh, Lowe's for years has had a great relationship with was then the teaching elder at Mars Hill, Albuquerque, Dave Bruscus, uh, who soon became the regional director for Acts 29 for church planning in the Southwest. Uh, Los has had great connections throughout the city, has for years felt this strong and clear call of God on his life to plant a church. So I think maybe the best thing to do is fast forward now to last year, August 2010, our Missions Emphasis Week, uh, the second sermon was one that Ryan preached, and I'd encourage you to go online, listen to that, listen to it again if you've listened to it once, here live, uh, called something like Spreading God's Glory Broader and Deeper Through Church Planting. And if I could summarize that in two or three sentences, it would go like this. In the book of Acts, we see a both and approach to church planting. Do it locally and do it globally, not an either-or. And so that sermon was really the culmination of 12 months or so of us praying through this and wrestling through how do we approach church planting, and that's the conclusion. We don't choose one or the other, we do them both. And one quick little side note is that planting a church locally is a way of reaching the world because Los, from the get-go, will be involved in global missions and will even partner with us in terms of SNAP, our North Africa initiative not just with money and support, but with people going out from his church. So, short answer to that is listen to the sermon and you'll get, you'll get the better answer. Uh, tell us also how we came to land on Carlos, because it, it could be, in theory, we're ready to do a church plant, but um, <clears throat> we go with someone else as sort of the lead preaching pastor for that. How did we land on Los? Uh, I'll give you my perspective. There are a number of different reasons in my mind. Um, one was the passion is there. If you know Lois, I mean, you heard a little bit, and that really was a little bit a minute ago. Um, Lois could not have more passion. And for church planting, you want someone that has a heart for the gospel and sharing it. Uh, I'm more of an introvert. I would be probably the worst person to plant a church. I'd be better to support Lois, uh, not to be out there you know, talking to people and taking them out for coffee and just meeting and greeting all over the place. But Lois is wired up for that. Um, He's had great experience teaching the well here, which again is our young adults ministry. Uh, The well is not a church, but for years he was preaching every week and teaching. He had to plan services here. Then it was Tuesday night. Uh, He had to do biblical counseling, deal with a lot of rough and messy stuff in people's lives. Um, And part of that was developing a leadership team under him. In fact, I can see a couple of guys um, that are here that that were on that leadership team for the well. And uh, John Maxwell says this, if, if you take any leader, you can try to rate him or her between one and 10. So like a seven would mean you attract other leaders that are three, four, five, six. Um, and so if you've got a leader and nobody's following him, 
that is a leader him or herself, well, that means you're at like a two or so. Uh, and Los is well over five, just based on the people that follow him and, and say, man, I buy into your vision. Let me help you. Let's partner together on this. So that's really a big thing that we look for is their experience. And has this guy developed a team already, past tense, not we hope he'll do this future tense. Uh, I'll say one more thing. I had somebody email me about six months ago and said, does those have any education? And they meant like seminary type education, <laughs> not K through 12 in college. I got, got passion. <laughs> um, and the answer is actually yes. He did a number of classes at Covenant Theological Seminary. And more to the point, did a year-long program called the Masters in Missional Leadership, which was a mix of distance and residence stuff. A lot of that was done in Seattle um, as part of a program there that had nationally known speakers and teachers come in and, and teach different modules for that. Um, so I'll probably stop there. But there are just, those are three or four bullet points as to why Lowe's is a good fit for this, and we saw that even a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay, one more church planting question. We seem to get this one a lot. Um, it's a fair question. Why uh, support a church plant rather than let it go, be its own thing, support itself, and as it has uh, the means to to do more and to pay for more, it does it, but it does it on its own. Why are we instead doing a different model and having some sort of financial support, at least planned, over the next three years for Redemption Rio Rancho? I'll try to give it quick answer to that. This would be great for other guys to pitch in when I'm done, because there are multiple answers for this. Um, if we set Lowe's without support, um, that's pretty much, unless he has a large group, say 100 adults, uh, meaning that he'll have to work and be bivocational, which means he's working 40, 50 hours a week, and then, in the leftover time, trying to pastor. And from people we've talked to, that's just a recipe for burnout. Um, or divorce, or not divorce formally, but functionally, your wife can't stand what you're doing and does not enjoy that kind of home or family life. Um, so one thing we're really out to protect is Los and his family life, his commitment to Lauren and vice versa. And uh, so we don't want to make him work 40 or 50 hours a week. Um, by the way, with over 40 adults, um, our estimate is that around half of their budget will be internal. It'll be those people paying for the church. So for a year, probably two, we've budgeted for three if need be, scaling back. But my guess is within that second year, they'll be self-supporting. So in our mind, it really is the best way to do it. Instead of forcing him to be bivocational or forcing him like kind of the old school missionary does, try to hit up everybody and anybody under the sun, nationwide, friends, relatives, Facebook people, whoever, to try to pitch in $20 a month to to support Lois in this endeavor. Um, and that method I won't go into, but that's just got a lot of downsides to that method of raising support and trying to, to sustain that kind of support over the years. So any other thoughts from you guys? Just to clarify, we're not talking uh, three years of full support. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if you want to get into specific numbers or not, but we're talking uh, not full support first year and then less in second, less in third. Any of you are interested in a breakdown, like what we're budgeting for rent, dash lease, things like that, uh, shoot me an email. Uh, or what, as a church, we're trying to budget for for the first, second, third year. Again, I can give you exact numbers. I wouldn't remember myself off the top of my head, but I'm glad to email this to you guys. 
Okay, one more question for Ron, and, uh, and he can basically fall asleep the rest of the meeting, I think. Okay. Um, uh, Ron, one of the questions we got was related to DSE's finances. Um, thank you. DSE finances up in the PowerPoint. What's involved in constructing a new budget, and who's involved in that process? It's a great question. It's a really good question. And I think the longer answer for this is that I should write this up and next week post this on the website. So maybe not Monday next week, but give it about 10 days. If you go to a website about finances, um, I'll write this whole thing up, in part because I may not remember certain parts of it now. There's a lot that goes into uh, the budget. Gail Renshaw, who is our finance administrator here, a full-time staff position, does weekly reports. Uh, actually, Ryan, Tim Bradley, and myself get weekly reports on things like, here's our balance in the checking account, this is what came in Sunday, this is what came in with online giving, this is what came in through United Way. Um, once a month, she sends every department manager, like youth, missions, and so forth, a report on um, any income to their line item, designated giving, and all the expenditures that have happened over the past 30 days. I see those every 30 days. To get more to the question, which is planning the new budget, we start in early summer. Uh, again, communicate to all the department managers and say, give me your recommendations. Uh, with some, Gail and I sit down one-on-one, -on -one, or I guess three of us. Uh, Clint would be an example of that because that's 10% of our church budget, about 150000 That's a pretty good chunk of money. So we sit down with Clint and say, okay, what are all of your line items? Uh, Clint in turn talks with many of his leaders and teams to get input. Uh, to fast forward, there's a stage at which I bring in people outside of our staff, uh, businessmen and women that are in our church that we consider to be very wise in terms of counsel, and we show things to them, uh, former elders as well. And then the elder board, the guys up here, see several different versions of that. And it ends up with where it is now, we're a few weeks into our new fiscal year, and the budget is online on our website for any of you to look at. Um, one thing I enjoy about what we do is that we give you a detailed budget. If you've been on the website to see it, it's not like the budgets that I see hundreds of other churches uh, share with their congregations. The ones I see all the time are like 10 lines. So you see missions, and that's one word, and then you see 80,000. And that's all you see. If you see the budget that we share with you guys, it's about 10 pages if you print it up. So in admissions, you would see about 40 lines. I mean, you can tell exactly what we're designating toward Guatemala, San Miguel, medical missions, for instance. So we really, in today's culture of embezzling and doing things under the carpet, we want to be as open as we can with how we're using the money that's really the Lord's money and not ours. So communicating in the bulletin on Sunday, me emailing you, emailing you guys a few weeks ago, doing a verbal announcement on Sunday morning, um, and posting a detailed budget is all a part of that. Um, rambling on and on now, but I'll try to... It's going to make this short and that's long. I'll, I'll put the detailed process through which we come up with a budget and approve it on the website in about 10 days. Thanks. Uh, you mentioned Clint. Is Clint... Are Clint and Joanna here? There they are. Hey. They're back. They have just adopted. Clint, how long have you been gone? Like a year. <laughs> It seems like it. How long? 20, 21 days. And why did it take so long to... She says 28 days. 28 days. Uh, and where were you? We were in Uganda most of that time. Doing what? In this 
We're glad you guys are back. Indeed. Yeah. And eager to get to know little Nico, right? Or Nicholas. Okay. Uh, one of the questions was related to DSC's affiliations and accountability. We get this question often in our membership class. Uh, it was specifically worded like this. As a non-denominational church, what kind of accountability is there for the church as a whole? So I'll answer this one. Uh, on one level, there is no accountability outside of our local church. And we think that that's biblical. We think that uh, the local churches that we see in Acts and that Paul wrote to, Church of Philippi, Church in Ephesus, that these were independent local churches. So in that sense, we're what in history they've called congregationalists. Congregationalists aren't just those who think that uh, the church should be ruled by a democracy or by vote. So maybe you've heard that before. You know, congregationalists look like that. Um, no, congregationalist historically it really just means that we don't believe that there's anything of authority over a congregation itself. The leadership is within the congregation. Um, and for that matter, most denominations don't really have accountability or authority over their specific congregations. So I've at times been uh, a part of a Southern Baptist church, so I can use that as an example. Southern Baptist Convention... Yes, a church has to sign off on the Baptist faith and message. Um, they have to give a certain amount of money. It's not much to um, the co-op fund, something like that, uh, in order to, to remain a Southern Baptist church. You don't do that, and eventually you're, you're let go. Um, but the Southern Baptist church, uh, Southern Baptist convention, rather, cannot come in and say, we don't like what you're doing, give us your building. Or, we don't like that pastor, get rid of him. Or something like that. So, uh, so denominations are not necessarily uh, a safe haven for accountability. Um, so we're a part of something called the Gospel Coalition. We mentioned this the last Q&A, in fact. Gospel Coalition is uh, a ministry and organization started by Tim Keller and D.A. Carson. Um, D.A. Carson's been here before. He'll be here again, Lord willing, in, um, in March for our next Claris Conference. Uh, they've started something that's a sort of a network of churches and pastors, and it really is just a network. It's a, um, a partnership of, of churches and pastors, and so there are regional chapters of these. We have a, an Albuquerque regional chapter of the Gospel Coalition. It meets here at our church. We do quarterly meetings. There are uh, close to 30 pastors or so that are involved. That means they're all New Mexico pastors. Some drive two hours to get here. Some are down the street almost. <laughs> Um, but, but it's people like us, right? These are churches that we, we could, in many cases, encourage um, a visitor to check out instead of uh, just landing here. And I do that from time to time. Um, we're probably the biggest gospel coalition church in New Mexico. And um, I'm interested in spreading the wealth a little bit. And so um, when people come and visit us, I often say, did you check out this church and that church and that church? And so we want to encourage each other's ministries, and we also want to hold each other up and pray for each other um, at our meetings together, our pastoral meetings together once a quarter. Um, we pray for each other. We uh, do burden sharing and bearing, um, sharing advice. Uh, and one of the things we do, too, is we call it sheep tracking. And that means when someone leaves one of our churches, 
uh, and goes to another one of these gospel coalition churches, we feel like we owe that pastor a phone call to say, listen, we've had a great talk with this family. It's, it's just not a fit. You know, we could, um, we, we would probably rather them approach some things differently in the way that they're thinking through church and what they need right then. But they go to you with our blessing, and we w- just want you to know about that, or vice versa. Um, so we're trying to put a little bit of a stop to the church hopping that's uh, pandemic in, in our culture, not just here in Albuquerque, but in our nation. Um, so in that sense, there's not accountability that's formal. There's no gospel coalition authority. Uh, D.A. Carson doesn't call us and say, uh, um, you know, what's this you guys are doing? And, you know, we're in trouble. Um, although if he called me, I would feel like I was in trouble. He called me, started asking hard questions. But it's all informal. There's, there's nothing there that's formal. And, um, and, and we think that that's right, to be honest. So where is there accountability in DSE? Right here. Uh, we believe that Scripture describes a plurality of leaders, um, not one guy at the top and then even a board that somehow he's accountable to or they have to, you know, uh, rubber stamp his decisions, something like that. Uh, I'm not the senior pastor here. I'm not the CEO. I'm not even the president of the organization. Um, so if you have any complaints, go to Tim Bradley. He's the president of the organization. Um, so you could say, well, isn't there the potential that um, within a, an eldership, this becomes a boys club. You like each other. You keep guys out who disagree with you. And hence, together, you go corrupt. You, you slide down the, the hill. Yeah. Um, and I think every single type of church government or political national government, you could say the same about, right? So Churchill used to say, um, you know, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. And I would say the same thing about eldership. Eldership has its problems, of course. It's, sometimes we joke that it's a seven-headed monster, um, but, and it's definitely slower than almost any other model, um, but we think Scripture says that this is what we should do, and we think that there is, according to Proverbs, some wisdom in the multitude of counselors, and so as long as we keep um, forcing ourselves to ask hard questions of ourselves and each other and um, doing things like evaluations of each other and um, and guarding in a sense in love for you and for this and for the unity that God has given us guarding uh, who comes in so you know no no one would be an elder because he's a good businessman no one be a good elder because um, he's got he's got a shtick or something like that you know Uh, what we're looking for is godly men who are able in the word and are faithful in prayer and, um, and have some gifts in, in leadership in the church. And that's already being demonstrated. So one thing we say is uh, a good shepherd, someone who's not yet appointed as a shepherd, they better smell like sheep. Um, they should know sheep. Sheep should be looking to them. And then in that sense, we're just recognizing really shepherd gifts in people rather than actually making them shepherds. Jesus makes shepherds. Paul said that in Acts 20. So that's my answer to the question about affiliations and accountability. Let's move on to another question, um, shepherding. 
related to that, related to what I just said. Jay, let me ask you this. Another great question. We get this one often. Being that there are so many people in the church, uh, now roughly 600 members, 600 adult members, how do the elders get to know, let alone shepherd, all the individuals in the church? Yeah, that's a good question and something that we struggle with and we labor towards all the time. Like Ryan said, there's 600 members, 900 adults and children on any given Sunday and seven elders. So it's definitely something that we have at the top of our mind constantly. What we've decided to do is come up with a a, um, pastoral points of connection. And I think the best way to give an example towards that is with community groups. So if you just think through the structure, you've got your community group leader. Somebody within that community group comes and says, hey, we're struggling with our marriage. Okay, so they start discussing, start some biblical counseling. All of a sudden it comes out that there's an affair or something like that. So it gets escalated up to the community group coach who then can take it up to the community group elder. So it's a pastoral point of connection in order for us to be able to shepherd effectively. Um, Out of us, seven, five of us are in community groups, so that's encouraging that we are in rubbing shoulders, loving and caring for people within community groups themselves. Um, We utilize the church directory quite often, the hard copy. We've got one at most elder meetings so that we can flip through that and put names with faces. Um, When you guys write in your prayer requests on Sunday, we get those, and we pray through those, and we lovingly care for the body through those prayer requests. It's a way for us to get to know you guys, too. Um, We often have people come into the elders' meeting, or we go out to their home to pray over them if they're sick, to anoint them with oil, as James 5 talks about. Um, And then we also have communication. So we obviously do announcements on Sunday mornings. We've got the newsletter. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, write it on the communication card on Sunday and get signed up for the newsletter. It's a very helpful way for us to be able to communicate with you and to help you feel like you're a part of the vision and the direction that DSC is going towards. And then, obviously, we've got a blog on our website, and then the, the website itself is a helpful tool for us to to communicate with you. Lastly, I would just say that the elders and the deacons get together um, once a month for a meeting, and in that time, we always touch on needs within the body. So we're, we're constantly putting feelers out, trying to understand what is needed and how we can best shepherd and love and, and be in your guys' lives. So, Great. Anyone else want to add to that? Nailed it. I, I would just affirm what Jay said. No, you did. I'm just affirming you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I would just affirm what Jay said in terms of community group. As Jay talked about the dynamic of large church, large numbers, seven elders, it's really difficult to know everybody, especially to know people very personally. But in the community group, You can get to know people on a real intimate level. And the community group leaders are working hand-in-hand with the elders. And so that is a great way to to be known, to be involved in one another's lives in authentic community where we can 
all mature in Christ and be shepherded, though you may not be holding hands specifically with a particular elder, you are within your community groups, and the community groups are connected to the eldership. So just an encouragement, if you're not in a community group, sign up for one, get in one, and and reap the, the great benefits of being part of a small community here within Desert Springs. I think one thing I would add to that is that there are some inevitable limitations in a church our size and, a, and certainly in a church larger than us. Um, so if you came from a smaller church and you'd expect, uh, for instance, the preaching pastor is the guy who always does the hospital visits. I mean, just to be blunt, this might not be the church for you. If you, if you really feel like that's what you need, um, if you feel like you need to be in a church where every elder knows everybody's name and can spot newcomers like that, this might not be the church for you. And I say that in love, and I say that uh, in love for other churches, right? Other churches that we would uh, maybe encourage you to to consider. So uh, it's not um, a shoe that fits every size. Um, We we want to be wise with what the Lord has given us, and, you know, like... um, like you see in Acts, I mean, 3,000 added the church in one day. What do you do? I mean, you know, thankfully, we're talking 1,000 people, not 3,000 people or 5,000 people, which is two chapters later. Um, so, so know that we're working on this. Know that we're always wanting to, to be better at this than we are. I came from a church before this of 70 people, and, and sometimes I admit I miss that. I miss um, knowing everyone. I miss um, being able to sort of tell nuances in people's face or spot little things in a marriage perhaps that I want to follow up with later on. And in a church this size, there's no way. I I do that, I think, maybe more with staff and elders guys and um, some other people I'm close with. But there's no way one guy or seven guys can be that intimate with um, hundreds and hundreds of adults. Uh, know also that we're always looking for new elders. Um, that is, um, maybe a few times a year, it's on the agenda for an elders meeting. Let's brainstorm about who we're seeing, who, who's in the let's keep watching category, who's in the let's pursue category, um, that sort of thing. So we could talk about that some more, but... Um, We'll move on to other things. And if you have more questions about it, do let us know as a follow-up. Tim Ragsdale, uh, affectionately just known as Rags, um, let me ask you a question on church membership here. Uh, We had the question, what does it mean to be a member of Desert Springs Church? And then maybe a little bit more of a skeptical question, what benefits does being an uh, an official member of DSC have over just being a regular attendee? Um, at the, from the start, I'd like to give a selfless or shameless plug for our class, Knowing Christ, Knowing the Church. I know many of you have been to it, and it is a class where, you know, a lot, you may think of it as a class that you have to go to once you've decided to be a member. But it really would encourage you to think of it and promote it to people as a class to go to, to learn about the church, what we believe, what we teach, uh, what we believe about church membership. Because in that class, you will have the opportunity to hear and be taught 
a lot about this topic. Um, when you think of church membership, it's really a form and function kind of a question. Functionally, with, throughout Scripture, we see in the Old Testament, there were those who were within the camp, those who were outside of the camp. We see in, uh, in, throughout the New Testament, we see, um, and when in doubt, grab a Scripture and read it. I'll, I'll give you an example for, uh, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, at the beginning, there was a, uh, he had heard about sexual immorality in the church, and he wrote it. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of the kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. You ought, to, you ought, not, ought you not, not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So we have a, we have a, a reference to being removed from among the body of people. Um, down in verses 12 and 13, he goes on and talks about, what, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Again, a reference to outsiders. There's insiders, there's outsiders, there's those who are among you, those who need to be removed. We see it in the final step of church discipline, to be, to be seen in a different category. To be, uh, so we see, functionally, church membership throughout Scripture. Now, do you see the form that we choose to practice here? That would be, go to a class, sign a covenant of fellowship. Well, you don't find that explicitly in the Scriptures. But you do see that it's functional, and that is a way that, for us, um, let me encourage you to think of it in another way. Um, we are, the men on this stage will be held accountable before God for your souls. How do we even know who you are? Okay, so that's a plea from me, from us, in a sense, to you. That is one uh, part of hey, I'm willing to put my name on the piece of paper. Um, I think you had asked something about benefits. Uh, what are the benefits? Well, uh, for one thing, you, you, you can't rise into any position of leadership within the church uh, without being a, a member of the church. But what I would really dis- uh, want to back away from that question for a moment because it kind of sounds commercial, uh, uh, consumeristic. What's in it for me, in a sense? Well, the benefits of church membership is that you get a chance to come and die to yourself. You get a chance to come and get messy in people's lives, and they're going to get messy in your life. You can come and uh, you can learn to serve and be expected to serve and give. Um, so, yeah, so those are the benefits of being a, a member of, of Desert Springs or any church that practices a healthy Membership. Um, I can't remember what was the third part of the question. Uh, I didn't say a third part, but oh. I'll, I'll give, there is maybe a third, you can make one up. For there me. is a third yeah. part. So um, he has a good memory. Why can't we all just be members of the Christian Church in general? Well, if you put your trust in Christ and what He has accomplished on the cross and saved you, and uh, you are a member of the Church, capital C Church, but the. We still see that God has used, uses local fellowships in, in, in the scriptures as his means for building his kingdom. Um, I think Ryan has used a, 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 I can't remember the word I'm looking for, talking about people who, someone who claims to be an NFL or a, a professional football player. 
I said, well, what team are you on? Well, I don't have one. Uh, that's T.O. That's T.O. <laughs> so we don't have, there's, there's no category for T.O. Christians. Don't, yeah, don't okay. be a T.O. Christian. Um, Is that possible? I don't know. I, I kind of spilled my guts here. This, this is shocking to say to some people. Isn't one benefit of church uh, of church membership? Church discipline. Absolutely. I mean, that's going to sound like what? Um, why would I sign up then? Uh, because you want to persevere. Because you want to go to heaven. Um, because the, because you need accountability, right? Um, in in really. Confrontation can't get very serious unless you consent to it. So that's why we have a covenant, a fellowship that says, I'm in, and I want you to fight for my soul. I want you to help me fight sin and temptation. Because um, I, don't, I don't necessarily trust myself where I'll be in 10 years or that I won't ever need that and, or that I'll always see straight. I'll always judge myself right so i think one ironic benefit of church membership is the potential of church discipline yeah. and there, there are those who've been through church discipline you, you, you know you don't normally think of this as a pleasant thing but it has when they look back on it it is a blessing in their life you know i taught a class here i guess it was a couple of years ago now on marks of a healthy church and the first three were actually the marks of the true church. Among those was the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments. The third one was the practice of church discipline. From early church history, that has been a, uh, uh, considered a mark of the true church, not just a healthy one. So, how, again, how can we discipline one another if we don't know who's in? As, uh, to use uh, Ryan's vernacular there. And look at the one another's of the gospel. You know, use your search and just search one another. And look at all of the times where there are, there's a relationship being uh, described there. One another among yourselves. How do you know who you are? So, granted, it's not, a, it's not in, the, in the scriptures that you shall sign a piece of paper, that you, you shall take a class, nothing like that. But for us, we believe that that is a wise way to do it. For us to interview you. Um, if, if I've ever interviewed you for, your, for a membership uh, after uh, knowing Christ, knowing the church, membership stuff, I ask hard questions because I fear not only for your soul but for mine. And uh, I hope you'll, you'll take comfort in that rather than uh, fear it. And, and what I'd like to do is kind of turn that question around to what are the benefits, instead of what are the benefits, what are the drawbacks to saying, hey, count me in. I want to be shoulder to shoulder with my brothers and sisters and, and build the kingdom of God together. So, that's my way of... Yeah. Great. Ron, when's the next round of uh, Knowing Christ, Knowing the Church starting? Uh, next one would be early February. Okay. Three times a year we offer that. Um, one just finished up, and there's usually a one-month... or No, one didn't finish up yet. A few more weeks of that. Yeah. yeah. And then in February, the new one starts. Okay, community groups. Jay, let's talk to you about that. You oversee community groups. Uh, let us know what percentage of DSCers, roughly, I'm sure this is an estimate, are in community groups. What do you think the total number of people in community groups 
is right now? So we've got about 640 adults that come on Sundays, and we have right around 350 adults participating in community groups. So we're at, if you do the math in my head, no, at 55%. I did it on a computer before. <laughs> I got it. Uh, 55% of DSC, DSCers are in community groups. So those are kind of the rough estimates as to where we're at. Um, I guess I could go a little bit further, say there's 24 community groups, um, four community groups just left to go to redemption. So we were at 28, four have gone, which is perfect strategy, um, exactly what we were hoping for. And we've got about 10 apprentices, and I can talk to you about that a little bit later. We've got 10 apprentices, four of which are going to be sent out to plant a community group within their community or their pocket of lostness within the next year. So that's exciting news. Uh, eight years ago, we had three community groups with less than 30 people total in those three community groups. That's exciting. 28 community groups and 350 people? Yep, 350. In them. That's really exciting. And number of kids counting is like 780 or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how are they going? Do you think community groups are working as a primary means of discipleship, accountability in one another's at Desert Springs? You know, um, yes, I want to give the Lord thanks right off the top. Community groups are going really, really well. Um, our, our, we just got through with SYNC. SYNC is a monthly community group leaders meeting where we have the community group leaders get together. We go through some, some teaching, some coaching things. We ask a lot of questions. We break up into small groups as community group leaders and, and discuss some hard questions, which is good. And, and what we did at that sync was we refocused our vision. Before that, we have a community group leaders handbook, and I, it's big, and it's long, and it can be daunting, especially when you're a man who's trying to raise his family, who has a full-time job, who's invested in the church, who's trying to lead a community group well, and then you have the community group pastor say, do all this, 600 things, make sure it happens next week. You know, I think, what? So we kind of focused our vision to discipleship. We want our community groups to be passionate about discipleship. It's our main means at DSC for that to be accomplished. So discipleship, Living out the one another's of the New Testament, like Tim uh, talked about a little earlier. We have developing leaders worked into that. So we want apprentices to come up out of community groups and to go plant community groups in their own, in their own neighborhoods. And then, and then lastly, I would say that we want our community groups to be on mission. We want our community groups to be proclaiming the gospel with their lips. So yes, service is involved in that but we want our community groups to be moving towards a mission-mindedness to be in the community and have opportunities to serve those who are in the community for opportunities to share the gospel with those who are lost within the community in which God has us. So we do community groups in location or pocket of lostness, and that vision has been working really well, so... I'm excited about it. I know the other elders are excited about it, and it's, it's really fun to see how God is using those community groups to really strengthen the body at DSC. So, 
it's going well. Good. Thanks for your work, Jay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Done great with it. Uh, Rags, you oversee local outreach. Um, one of the questions we had, uh, you'll love answering, what kind of local outreach uh, could or should a community group be involved in? How can that, how can those two things meld together? Yeah. You know, there is nothing that brings community to a group of people in, say, a community group better than being on mission together. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, if we meet together just to meet together, we'll find some community and we'll enjoy one another's company. But, guys, we have a, a mandate to, to make disciples, to build God's kingdom. And to be on mission together, to, you know, to... Uh, uh, that's, you know, the, the whole foxhole mentality, how, that we can work and live together. You had mentioned, um, Jay had mentioned, uh, shoot, I just had a, the foxhole, it just made me had a whole brain evacuation there. The, um, okay, yeah, so we have uh, geographical, a lot of uh, geographical-based uh, uh, community groups, and that's got, the purpose and function of that is so that we can be on mission together to that neighborhood, to that area. Not just to save gas, not just that because we're close to each other. That doesn't hurt. But, guys, we have opportunities to serve together and love our communities. A good example of that is, uh, uh, you know, we're a very suburban church in many ways. And there are neighborhood watch associations that meet. You know, we so often don't even know our neighbors. And yet here's an opportunity to get become a part of a group that, in a sense, is it's, it's got an us-against-them mentality. But the us is our neighborhood, and you can love and serve your neighbors through something like a neighborhood watch association. Be the guy who volunteers to have the, the national night out at your house, to, to, to start an association if you don't have one. Your neighbors will actually be glad you came and asked them if they want to join sometimes. You know, most of the time, people knocking uh, when... You knock on somebody's door, they don't want any, you know, whatever it is. But there are opportunities to serve and love your community. There are pockets of lostness that uh, Jay had mentioned. Sometimes we have access to different parts of the culture out there, different parts of the community. You may have access to police officers or coaches in, in, a, in a youth uh, sports association or the, the PTA. You may be... Uh, really, really plugged into some community in the culture out there. That's an incredible opportunity. Um, I, I have opportunities in the theater community, a bunch of really weird, wacky people that we love each other, and I know them, I have access to them, and that's a, that's a group of people I can minister to. But just think, guys, of all the opportunities that you have out there of you know, police officers, corrections officers, whoever that community that you live in and among every day. Local missions is not about um, putting on events, concerts, speakers, getting people to raise their hand, that kind of thing. Guys, I want you all to be infectious Christians where you are. And uh, well, how did I get there? Anyway, I'm getting fired up. Hey, man, man, let's do it. Um, You're preaching. Oh, so anyway, you have unique opportunities and uh, start to recognize those and share them with the people in your community group. Guess we're not afraid to reshuffle the decks a little bit with the community groups. It's, it's not about your comfort. Sorry. But if you've got people, a group of people that all of a sudden just 
find out that they all love this one community of the culture, come together, serve together, work there, be on mission together. That's where we're headed towards some missional community groups. Uh, Did you guys know that Tim was a thespian? I just like saying a thespian. What? Thespian, right? <laughs> <laughs> Say what? Well, let me add uh, real quick just to what uh, T-Rags is saying. Um, is um, you, don't, you just start praying for people. I mean, who's in your life? Who's, who's God? We believe in the sovereignty of God. So God's sovereignly placing people in your lives, right? So start praying for them. Start talking about them. Start sharing those prayer requests with those in your community group, with those around you. Here's a cool thing. We did this this past Sunday with our core group, and it wasn't planned. I was like, hey, who, who's talking to who? Let's pray. We did it for the first hour. People just sharing stories. And um, now I know to pray for this, this person. I know to pray for this person. And I'll know to follow up. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit moves. If God saves this person, this person comes to Desert Springs. You can say, man, I've been praying. This is awesome. I've been praying for you for the past few months. They get baptized. It's a celebration. It's like, oh my gosh. I remember praying before I met you. Um, start, start there. I mean, start somewhere of um, God has sovereignly placed people in your lives. Um, start praying for them. This is this is what this is what we're created for. This is what what our mandate is to make disciples. Um, if we're not doing it, we're being disobedient. So um, a good start is just open your eyes and who's around you. Thanks, Lois. Good. Jay, will you give us uh, an update on? what's going on in the adoption ministry and um, really just a couple of minutes on that because, not because it's not important, but because that could easily be a really long thing. There's so many good things, so many great stories, mm-hmm. um, wonderful ways God's working in that ministry in our church. Yeah. But give us a couple minutes of uh, highlights in the adoption ministry. You got it. So let me just start. If you've seen my shirt, it says unadopted. 147 million orphans in the world. That's just a staggering number. Um, so a small band of people came together at DSC, um, really led by Jason Mancini. Um, it's, it's now a ministry headed up by about 10 people. Um, it's, it's the reality of our vertical adoption as playing out and equaling caring for the oppressed. And, and if you haven't read Isaiah 58 in a while, Crack open your Bible and read it, maybe even tonight before you go to bed. Let the Lord start working on your heart there. James 1 also talks about caring for the orphan and the widow. Currently, we're partnering with the ABBA Fund here at DSC. We've got our our interest-free loans that we're working with the ABBA Fund with um, are right around um, $7,500. We currently have about $33,000 tucked away for interest-free loans. Um, we've got two out for 5,000 and five out for 7,500. So that's exciting. Um, within the next five months, there's going to be five, uh, six more loans that are given. And DSC, listen to this, DSC has adopted approximately 20 children. That's, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I love to see just the fire building in people's bellies to go after the orphan and the widow. It's, it's exciting. Five couples went this uh, past week to Phoenix for Together for Adoption, uh, a conference that just helps us think through adoption more clearly. 
Let me tell you a couple of areas that we need work on. We're really good and we're really passionate about sharing the vision of adoption, about getting people discipled towards reaching out for the orphan. We're not very good at the post-adoption. When you get back, we're not very good at coming up underneath you and helping you out. So we need to work on that. We also need to work on more one-on-one discipleship um, sort of things, thinking through that it's, it's by grace and not as a means of works. Um, adoption can easily be brought into the camp of social justice apart from the gospel. And so we want to combine, not even combine, but really let the gospel thrust us out into caring for the orphan and the widow. So we want to do more one-on-one beforehand discipleship, why you're adopting, what are some expectations that you're thinking through and helping out in that way. So that's a very brief snapshot of what's going on, but really exciting things going on at DSC. And I would, I would just encourage you to get involved in this ministry. And it doesn't mean you have to adopt. It can mean that you're, you're supporting. When they get back, you're taking meals, you're watching kids, you're just coming up underneath them and loving them and caring for them. So and how does someone get involved in adoption ministry? You know, the best, you can always come talk to me, but you, the best way probably is to reach out to Jason Mancini. And if you don't know him, um, I can get you his contact information. He just has a real heart for adoption. It's great. Uh, I'm sure it's on the web too, under Website, adoption. Yep. Uh, adoption ministry would have a contact there that probably goes right to Jason. Yep, that's, that's my guess. That's right. Okay. All right, we got a good one for Tim Bradley here. I think this is kind of the hot potato of the night. Um, schooling approaches and uh, someone wrote in um, a thoughtful question I'm going to read it all of it because it's uh, it sets it up well I think so here's the question DSC has a pretty obvious demographic of young families a majority of which have decided to homeschool their children and many do Christian private school as well however however, there's still a group who've chosen to do public schooling obviously this person writes, uh, there's no black and white biblical stance on public versus home or Christian schooling. Each can be done for right reasons and each can be done for sinful reasons. Yet at the same time, both sides clearly feel strongly about their decision. Also, from what I know, this person writes, there are no elders parenting right now who've chosen public schooling. Uh, So before you answer what the question is, let's hit pause. Let's just be honest about that. Go down the line. Homeschooling. Private Christian. Homeschooling. Uh, what did you left, do? Public, they were public school. Public? Mm-hmm. We had three. Uh, well, they were all public school. One that was here in Albuquerque for his last few years of high school. Oak Grove. Got a kindergarten girl in public school. Okay. So this person's right. Um, no elders parenting right now who have chosen public school, or at least, yeah, right. Los has, but that's a pretty young age, so. Um, and he's and, leaving. And he's leaving, right. <laughs> so, so in January, that's why, that's actually why I'm leaving, so. <laughs> I went to public school, does that count? Um, so here's the question. This person says, my question is really two-part. Is this a potentially divisive issue on the eldership radar? I think they mean eldership radar out there. Um, Not so much. Is it potentially divisive here? 
first question. The second question, what ways can we tangibly support the families who have chosen public schooling? Okay, yeah, and a great question, and, and the family that asked that question is here, so I'm glad you're here. Um, it is on our radar screen that this is a potentially divisive issue. Uh, as you can see here, there is some variety among the eldership, and we would not consider ourselves a homeschooling church, though I think that the, what's described here in the question is accurate, that many of our families do, in fact, homeschool. Some of our families uh, use private school, and, and others of our families do public schooling. But it is on our radar that this is potentially divisive. And so one of the things that I would encourage is that we not make it divisive. I would exhort you to not allow this to be divisive. This is an open-handed issue. I think, again, uh, the individual who wrote this in is right in saying there are good reasons to choose the variety of education alternatives, and there are bad reasons to choose it. And so we all may need some correction, but it's not a black and white issue that you should homeschool, you should private school, you must public school. This is a choice that each family needs to make. They need to be convinced of this choice themselves, and then they need to pursue that avenue to the glory of God, for the good of their children. So we do understand that it is divisive, and we are, in fact, watching for that. We're trying to guard against that, and, and, and maybe you won't see that uh, all the time, but we're listening for those kinds of things. We're, we're working to check our own hearts to make sure that we don't get in the rut that says the form or the approach that I have chosen is the right one and the other two are misguided. So we're watching that within our own hearts and we're listening for that in the body. And if we come across that, we will in fact correct that. That may be more private on a one-to-one -one basis unless it were a, a more public forum in which uh, that were taking place in which people were being divisive in, in a very public way, then it might become uh, more public in terms of its correction. But we want people to be convinced within their own hearts and we want them to pursue that. But we do understand this is a hot issue. People are passionate. I think what, what, what I would encourage is that we not, we not be overly sensitive when someone in a different approach is passionate about their approach. And we would guard ourselves from taking that personally and just understanding that they have passion for that particular approach, just like hopefully we do for the approach that, that we've taken. But we would guard ourselves against being overly sensitive. But we would also guard ourselves against being sinfully judgmental to those who have chosen a different approach to schooling their children. So we all need to do this together. We are aware that it can be divisive. We, we would say don't let it be divisive. As much as it is up to you, pursue peace with all men, particularly with your brethren here. Desert Springs. Yeah. So love each other. 
be peaceful with each other. If there are abuses, then we would encourage you, address those. Follow the biblical principle of Matthew 18 and go to your brother and talk to them humbly, lovingly. Seek to understand uh, what's going on, where that comment was driven from. Be sure you're not assuming or judging motives. And if it's more problematic than that, you've done those things, and then you begin to, to involve others. And hopefully we would all follow that. But don't let it be divisive. We don't want it to be something that divides us here. Too much is at stake to let our educational choices divide the purposes of this church. Tim, can I play devil's advocate here? Sure. So there's a homeschool co-op that meets here every other Friday. Right. Mother's Heart. And there's also um, Oak Grove, a classical Christian school that meets here, I think, three days a week. Uh, So it looks like Desert Springs Church does lean towards one direction, not the other. Yeah, and it's a great point. Uh, it does look like that on the surface. Well, well, it's probably important for us to understand is is the two groups that you've described, the Mother's Heart Homeschooling Co-op and then the Oak Grove Classical Academy, that both of those have their origins um, really informally, more organically, more grassroots, that these were individuals who had had decided to to pursue a particular educational choice and they got together to cooperate together rather than something that was driven by the church. Not top-down. It wasn't top-down, the church saying, this is what we want to be at the church, so let's get Oak Grove to come and meet here so we can get all of our people into a private school, or, or let's have Mother's Heart, the homeschool co-op, meet here because we want all of our families to be homeschoolers. That these were organically developed, and then we support them. So you can imagine with homeschoolers, if a large number of them are going to cooperate, they're going to need a place in which to do that. Uh, they're not going to have the funds, likely, to purchase a building or lease a space to do that. So they're going to look for alternatives and places where they can meet, and churches would be a natural place for that. And then so we can see, naturally, we're trying to assist that group uh, within uh, what they're doing. And we're not trying to, to direct that. The AMH has a board, uh, which really carries the, the burden and the weight of, uh, of directing that. Uh, the church does not support them financially. So they don't have a line item on on our budget, for example. They collect fees and registration fees, and and they support that ministry and that cooperative effort to homeschool their kids. Oak Grove uh, would be the other example, and maybe much like a a church plant, this is a a new startup school. And so, again, because of limited resources... At this point, they won't have their own facilities, so they're going to look for either a place to lease inexpensively or look for a place that would allow them to, to meet and do what they're committed to doing at, at little to no cost. Uh, we also do not support or have a line item for Oak Grove within our budget. 
We do support them by providing a space, but Oak Grove actually contributes uh, to the things that they would use here. So they actually give Desert Springs money for things like paper goods and, and supplies. Oak Grove also hires uh, two individuals to do their setup and, and their teardown. And so we are supporting those groups. But I think it's important to, to say that we're not just supporting those groups. So there may not be, because we've covered three of the, the different approaches, the private school and the co-op, there may not be a public schooling group that meets here. But certainly we are open to that. It's probably not something we're going to start. But if there is a, a group of those who are public schooling who have an idea and a way in which they're cooperating and partnering together and encouraging each other and helping each other in that uh, particular educational vein, uh, then we would certainly entertain and, and be willing to talk to you about how we can help. Can we provide space? Can we encourage in one form or another? And there are examples uh, that we have in which we do that outside of the schooling arena. So for example, the, the neighborhood that's directly to the north here, Vista del Norte, their particular homeowners associations meet here at the church monthly. They have three associations in that group. And there are always, it's, it's, oh, every time I turn around, there's another Vista del Norte neighborhood association meeting here. And so we want to support the community. and We want to support the things that are uh, maybe look like they're more outside of the church. We love our community. We, we love all of our families here at Desert Springs. And we want to support them in, in whatever way that we can. What that may not mean is us starting ministries uh, that are targeted, that are differentiating. In other words, I would say all of our ministries, we don't have, for example, right now we have a parenting class. We don't have a parenting class for those who homeschool and a parenting class for those who private school and a parenting class for those who public school. We have a parenting class. and We're not trying to differentiate between those three groups. We say we want to help parents learn how to parent better to the glory of God, encourage them in the work that God has called them to do. So we probably won't start ministries, but we'd certainly be willing to entertain how we could support those ministries, public school let me say something real quick. Yeah. As a, someone that um, me, me and Lauren, we have prayed about um, our kids um, schooling, and we have uh, dove head into head first into public school um, for various reasons. And um, and uh, we, uh, I, w- I would encourage if you're whoever wrote this question, I'm not sure who who they are. The families here, I guess. Um, fight defensiveness fight um, self-righteousness um, because that comes from a place of pride um, and I'm just saying this because I know you can feel like a minority um, and I'm saying this because I, I, I know how I feel sometimes and it's wrong um, and it, it's sinful it divides it can divide the body um, I would encourage what Tim talked about is because um, just even right now we're nine weeks into Jordan's kindergarten um, and that's a wild experience um, just kindergarten in general um, she's got boyfriends and daddy's got baseball bats now and shotguns um, but 
there are some unique things that we're trying to wrestle through how to, how to, how to shepherd our kids through in the public school sphere. Um, how, can we, how, how can we talk so much about Jesus at home and, she, and Jordan goes to school and it's just not there? Um, how about when, the way we discipline Jordan and you know, what if, you know, we spank? What if the, public, the teacher finds out? Um, and you know you've heard stories um, I, I, I'd encourage you know it's, it'd be good to have a group that if, if you, this person who wrote this is passionate um, it'd be good to, it'd be good for us to have people we could talk to and ask how do you navigate this through uh, through these waters I know Lauren has leaned on uh, Corin Sayers a lot uh, Chris is uh, Chris our sound guy his wife and I'm uh, just asking questions um, about just navigating some of these waters so I would say um, as you come to DSC, fight defensiveness, fight self-righteousness, fight pride, um, fight feeling alone, um, and um, try to think about how can you use this for the glory of God, and how can I gather around people and talk about, not about whether or not what we're doing is right for our kids, but what we've chosen to do for our kids, how can we best utilize it for God's glory, for Jesus' name, for Jesus' mission, um, and uh, to disciple our kids, so they meet Jesus, so they love Jesus, um, and that really is any sphere. But I know, especially if you are a public school parent, um, I encourage you to try to figure out a way to encourage one another in that and seek each other out. Um, and, and I'm just saying that nine weeks into us um, having a kindergarten girl that's um, in public school. So, and it's easy. It's interesting to hear that perspective because just because you're in a private school or just because you're homeschooled doesn't mean that you're immune from those things. So the onus is on the parents. I mean, it's on really the dads to bring up their children in the fear of the Lord. And so we're having those same community, those same conversations. How can we make sure that, that our kids aren't infected by a worldview that is contrary, even in a private school, to what we're trying to accomplish at home, that Jesus is supreme, that he's to be followed after, and that onus is on dads. So let me just encourage you, don't just send your kids out the door and say, go learn, when you come back, whatever. It's gotta be, no, I'm taking responsibility for my family, it's on my shoulders, so. Can I I read a a verse on this and then uh, a short comment? Uh, Philippians 2, chapter, uh, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out, uh, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, and what I really appreciated about how Tim uh, started and started talking about our, and, and, and Los even uh, repeated it, about our defensiveness we can tend to be thin-skinned and hard-hearted. I think it's a uh, result of the fall. And uh, so when you hear somebody passionate, and I don't want to repeat what Tim said, but my encouragement is really fight defensiveness, like Lowe said. But on the other side of that, if you find yourself in the majority position, let me exhort you. Uh, for instance, you know, in the Sunday school classes, you've got a group of kids there who co-op a lot together, they hang out together, they know each other, and they're playing. And your public school kid comes and is feeling left out. This is a time to be proactive, to reach out, to include, to love on them. 
And uh, so it, it's, it's on parents to encourage their children. It's, it's uh, well, not a lot of kids here to hear that. But um, let me just encourage you in that respect um, because I think that's the soft spot right now. If, if we've got some public school parents who are feeling uh, looked down upon or uh, possibly disrespected. And let me assure you, I'm very pro-public school. If I had my kids young again, they would be in public school. And I have very good reasons for that. But I understand that you have good reasons for yours as well. Thanks. All right, one more question. And uh, this is uh, an important one. It probably won't take as long as that one did. But uh, Global Church Planning, Tim Ray, you oversee this ministry in our church. Um, So what's the status of our global mission plans to put some families in North Africa for church planting there? What's the timeline? Timeline, um, I mean, it's really not changed. I mean, I, I think that question asked if we were behind. I don't know if you were going to mention that, but it said something to that effect. And, and, and no, we're actually not behind at all. Um, we're actually right on schedule. I mean, the schedule is still roughly the end of uh, 2013, the beginning of 2014, to send our first team out. And... Uh, uh, and, and they will actually go to France first uh, to get fluent in French. They're learning French right now, but they will go live there for a little bit. We'll go roughly a year later. So that is still the timeline. Um, they, they have been working diligently um, on things uh, up to this point, uh, specifically focusing on uh, theological training, um, Parker Landis, I don't know if you guys, um, I would hope, remember Parker. He's at seminary right now, but he Skypes in and uh, uh, teaches. And so that's been going on with that team for some time. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of training. I mean, we, we have said before, and I'll say it again, we want to send out elder qualified men, bottom line. The, the goal is church planning. That's going to look completely different in many respects than what we're doing right now with Los uh, in, in many ways, but nevertheless, we want to send out elder qualified men, and and that's uh, one of the things that we are certainly working towards uh, from that standpoint. So, let me just say real quick to finish, you know, a good way for you guys to keep up on this is uh, to sign up for the newsletter. I know that's been mentioned. I think Jay mentioned that. Sign up for the newsletter. It's a great way to stay in touch with this, um, and also. Um, you know, we continue the efforts with the funds. I mean, this is a growing thing uh, that we've projected out for many years. So just also remember that, you know, we're doing the dollar a day right now. And in 2012, that'll transition into $2 a day. So that's coming up. So be prepared for that and uh, be praying about that. Um, If you're not doing that, you know, really be praying because this is a, a great way to every month build that fund which uh, will continue to grow and we'll need it too so you said the newsletter is that the church-wide newsletter or is there something special for missions that's a uh, church yeah I mean church-wide both I mean we do have uh, we we do have a, a missions related list that we keep people up to date so if you want to be on that you can uh, get in touch with me or Clint um, but yeah either way either one both why not both so, okay. Well, thank you guys. Um, 
for your time tonight and for uh, listening, for your questions. Um, there are some we even planned to get to tonight and didn't have time for. We'll either uh, deal with those directly if you gave us your name or um, perhaps put it up on a on the church blog or something. Um, but keep in mind that this is, in some ways, this is nothing more than a reminder to you that we want to answer questions and we want to be open. We want to be vulnerable. We want to hear hard questions and, and to be honest with you as much as we can. So that doesn't need to happen twice a year. That can happen anytime. Um, let us know what's on your mind. Let us know how we can serve you. Um, let us know how we can improve. Um, and we're thankful for you. And we're thankful to God for so many things in this last year so many evidences of his goodness here, so many reasons for us to celebrate and, and give him thanks for what he's been doing. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know what your personality's like. Mine tends to see the thing that's out of place, to see the, the problem that needs fixing, and um, to, to think that the fruit, the good thing, is that, well, it's a given. You know, you don't need to focus on that. Uh, that's good. And instead, I think we should be much more optimistic in our praise to the Lord and rejoice and work to rejoice in what he's doing. So whatever your gripes are, if you have any, um, whatever discouragements you have right now or frustrations you have right now with, with our church, on the one hand, yeah, let's talk, um, pray about that, seek to improve it, seek to give it to the Lord. Uh, but let's also not miss some amazing things that God is doing. Uh, he has been far better to us than we deserve. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's have Drew come up, and um, he's going to play for us. Let me pray. We're going to sing one more song, and then we'll let you guys go. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We give you praise for our time tonight. We thank you for our elders. Um, those who have this as their full-time job, and for those who add this on top of a full-time job, we honor them. We thank you for them, for their sacrifice of time and energy and even emotional, spiritual stress sometimes. Um, thank you for these folks and for the privilege it is uh, to shepherd them and to lead them and to partner with them for your kingdom. Again, we say you have been far better to us than we deserve, and we pray you would empower us, Lord, to glorify you. You give us wisdom for the mission ahead and for your plan in building your church and spreading your kingdom for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.